For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Okay, first things first, can you hear me? It's a little low. Uh, maybe if I speak up. Can you hear me now? Okay, so I have to just kind of speak up. <laughs> so good morning, everyone. I'm Asian Nancy Easton, and uh, I am very, very pleased to be here to give the Dharma talk today on appreciating your life. Um, and more on that in a moment. I, I want to start by just acknowledging that it is Thanksgiving weekend. And um, while it has maybe been a very difficult beginning to a holiday, a difficult holiday season for many of us, um, it is a time to think where, where to think about gratitude and appreciation. And I can't think of a better time to talk about, you know, how we can appreciate our life. Maybe if I move closer to the, uh, I don't even know where the microphone is on this computer, so it's, <laughs> I'll just talk louder. I want to start off, though, by reading my favorite Zen story, which comes from the book Zen Flesh, Zen Bones. Some of you have heard me read this before. Um, it's called a parable in this book, and I have not yet found it in a sutra, um, but it says it's from a sutra. A man traveling across a field encountered a tiger. He fled the tiger after him. Coming to a precipice, he caught hold of the root of a wild vine and swung himself down over the edge. The tiger sniffed at him from above. Trembling, the man looked down to where, far below, another tiger was waiting to eat him. Only the vine sustained him. Two mice, one white and one black, little by little, started to gnaw away the vine. The man saw a luscious strawberry near him. Grasping the vine with one hand, he plucked the strawberry with the other. How sweet it tasted. Now, for those of you who've heard me read this story before, um, you know that I read this when I took a class on Buddhism when I was in college, and I didn't understand it at all. I just felt like, you know, what is this? Why, why, why is he not trying harder? You know, why, why, is, why does he not even have the decency to panic? And it's taken me quite some years of living and practicing and, you know, reflecting on this story to realize that, you know, this is not a happily ever after kind of story. 
but it is, I think, a nice reflection of our true life's situation. Um, you know, what, what, what do you think happens in the end? You know, and what do, what do you think happens in the next moment? The story leaves it up to our imagination, but I think most of us imagine that this guy's going to fall to his death or, you know, be eaten by a tiger or, or something. And, you know, maybe there is some as yet unforeseen possibility in this story. That happens in our lives, too. You know, but but maybe there isn't. And so what we have here is, you know, we, we, we just met this guy. You know, it, it, it just seems too soon. And yet this is, this is our life's dilemma. I want to share with you today that I was especially happy to be invited to give the talk today because I'm actually celebrating an anniversary. Um, a year ago, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer following a surgery that illuminated this. And there were some pre, but, but, but I had, there were some hints, you know, it's not that I was completely unprepared for this. There were some hints through some tests that had come back a little off and I was starting to panic and I was starting to feel like, you know, what was the point of eating healthy and all this exercise and saving for retirement. And what was the point of all this practice? Because I'd never heard anything hopeful about ovarian cancer. And I, so I panicked for a while um, and, and was having this feeling of like, this can't be happening. But I was very surprised when I, you know, I, I went in for what was supposed to be a one-hour surgery and woke up four hours later and realized, well, that, that can't be good. You know, that, that can't be a good thing. And I was very surprised at how quickly my thoughts went to kind of left behind this, this can't be happening, and went into, okay, well, I guess this is what is happening. And so, you know, what do we do now? Um, it was a couple weeks later that I learned for sure through multiple experts that this what I did have ovarian cancer, but I got very, very lucky with early diagnosis and early treatment. I didn't even need chemo. I was, I was, it was really, it's, I was told that it's not expected to recur. And so far they have been right because I go for quarterly follow-ups. And so I feel grateful and vulnerable in a way that I didn't before. I've been returned, restored to having the same chances for my life that, you know, pretty much everyone does. Um, but I still do, I think it's just filled me with, you know, more of a, of a renewed appreciation for my life and for what we can do, you know, for all of us with our lives, no matter what our circumstances are, because there is always something that we can we can do and with our life. And I'm going to be talking about that today. But, you know, like like my attitude towards the story that I just read for you, I just wasn't read, ready for this. You know, nothing prepares us to confront our own mortality. But I want to talk about how doing so can help us to really see and to appreciate our life. So 
I think, you know, I think most of us have, have several possible, you know, we've sort of heard of maybe conventionally several possible approaches to um, our mortality. And even in Buddha's time, uh, monks, pri- prior to Buddha's awakening, monks were practicing, um, you know, asceticism and self-mortification and um, very stringent practices to try to extinguish craving, um, sort of subdue the body and mind and and things that could be kind of nihilistic. And we can we can practice this way. You know, we can try to cut out everything and try to um, extinguish our craving. But there's a danger in that. And the danger is that we can end up not really living, you know, not really not really enjoying the life that we have. We could take the opposite approach, which I have some friends who um, I think pride themselves on taking this approach. It's a little more hedonistic, you know, with sort of a self-indulgent, you know, focus on enjoying our life. I have a friend whose motto is, we're not here for a good, for a long time. We're just here for a good time. And we can do that too. And, and, and I, and I encourage everyone to please enjoy your life. Enjoy the, the experiences that can be enjoyed in your life. But I think that if we adopt only this approach, it actually paradoxically increases our fear of death because we don't really learn to prepare. We're in this sort of state of denial and we only want, if we only focus on the enjoyment, we, we miss something in life. So, um, you know, as Zen practitioners, we know about the middle way, and this is the middle way as discovered by Buddha, that is between, you know, asceticism and hedonism. It's between self-indulgence and self-mortification. We recognize that we are of the nature to grow old and to become sick and to die. And that our, we, as we practice, we can see that our lives are really a constant interplay between form and emptiness you know in each moment phenomena are arising and passing away and truly we never get one second back I remember when I was when I was 14 my grandfather died and not long after that my grandmother decided that she was going to move from the house that they were living in into an apartment and it was the only house I knew and I loved visiting them and I loved being there and I decided that I was going to memorize every thing about the house. So I sat, every time we went, I would go and I would just, you know, sit in the rooms and just like look at the wallpaper and, you know, try to memorize the the floor tiles. And and I really, I've forgotten so much of their house. The one thing that I learned from this exercise was that there was a crack in the crown molding in the den. And that is the only thing that I didn't know before (laughs) that I now know. So we don't get things back. Things, things are constantly changing. And that's, you know, that is just what life is. It's not good and it's not bad. It's just what it is. All that we have is right here and right now. You know, the future does contain possibilities and the past contains our actions and the actions of others. The present is arising right now from the karma of our past actions, and it's our only opportunity to change. So how does, how does that relate to our life and understanding our life? And there are, are, are 
a few points that I want to make about what is our life. And the first point is we are not alone, no matter what we are going through. Um, there was a very famous Buddhist teacher, Nagarjuna, who lived from about 150 to 250 of the, of the common era. And Nagarjuna taught on the middle way, taught extensively and brought up many more, explained many more concepts than I will explain today. But one key point was that of dependent co-origination, dependent co-arising. And what that means is because this arises, that arises. You know, we, as limited physical beings, we do not exist independently of anything. You know, we exist because the causes and conditions arose for us to be here. Now, that includes, you know, our parents meeting in some way and conceiving us, but much, much more. We actually, our whole entire lives and before our lives, we have been shaped by everyone and everything we encounter and by the times and places that we were born into. Now, we generally don't perceive this or we don't perceive it correctly. I think conventionally, we generally think that, you know, there's a whole world plus me, you know, and we think that we are objectively looking at the whole world, but we're not at all. We are looking at our view of the whole world. And, you know, so there's the particular and the universal. There's, there's our particular life and then there is our universal life and we're much much more in aware of the particulars but really you know we are tied to all other people and all other beings and if 2020 has taught us anything it's you know that we see this so much more clearly through the eyes of people who have been living in a pandemic we see the ways in which we can help each other or harm each other or, you know, even some of the ways that this virus came to us in the, in the first place has to do with our, our relationship to the, the whole world. One of the things that uh, I did recently was I watched the David Attenborough film. It's a, a recent film that came out in October called A Life on This Planet. He, he had a previous film called Life on This Planet. This one is A Life on This Planet. And his key point, and, and, a, and a direct quote from the film, is that a species can only thrive when everything else around it thrives too. So his point is that we really need the biodiversity that we have in order for species to thrive. And, and so the things that we can do to help our environment directly help us. Our, our, we are, our, our well-being is directly affected by our environment. And so, you know, everything really depends on you and what you do, and everything supports you. Your knife is not just yours, but it will affect others long after you are no longer here. So we're not alone. My other point, another another key point is we're not in control. You know, the, the other thing that 2020 has taught us is that the world does not work the way we think it does, or especially not the way we want it to. We 
it does to a point. You know, we we know a lot of situations where we do X and we get Y. You know, and this works well enough most of the time to give us the illusion of control. And on one level, you know, so so on this level, cause and effect are certainly operative. They, we can't escape cause and effect, but there's so much more to the cause than we really can perceive. You know, as, as same with, uh, and it's the same with dependent co-arising. There's there's so many more conditions that are operating outside of our awareness that we we can't take in, we can't possibly take into account everything that you know we're doing in order to control the outcome. What we tend to do is we ta- we attach to our preferences especially or or other rules that we've learned and we assign value to them that you know doing x is good and doing y is bad. But we can get so stuck in our ideas of how the world is that we fail to adapt to things that are constantly changing and you know, when our ideas get too far out of line with reality, we suffer. We, we, things that, that is kind of the first noble truth is that, that there's suffering or dukkha pervading everything. Things are just, they're out of whack. They're out of whack with how we think they should be. There, things are also a little bit out of whack with uni- the universal concepts. You know, we have, we have universal concepts like compassion and fairness and justice and and I could go on and on and on but 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 those that universal that we can we can maybe intellectually understand with our mind it has to operate in the particulars of our lives and it always translates into the particulars of our lives imperfectly or imperfectly so when we get too caught up in our ideas about the world, we suffer. And, you know, like, like the man in the story, we will all die in the end, no matter what we ate or how much we exercised or how much we saved for retirement or how much we practice, this will happen. And I apologize if this um, treatise on appreciating your life is starting to get, frankly, kind of depressing, but it, it, it does get better. Um, because this is where practice comes in, of course. Um, you know, we practice in order to close that gap between what we think our life is and our actual life. You know, life is opposed to death only in the world of our thoughts. You know, we, we set up all kinds of dichotomies. Um, I've been studying Genjo Koan with a friend recently, and so we've been talking about the dichotomies of delusion or enlightenment or sentient beings or Buddhas, samsara, you know, the mundane world that we live in versus nirvana, the, the you know, world of enlightenment, the extinction of craving, um, and especially, you know, birth and death. Um, we, you know, we, we cling to one. One, 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 one thing in the one, one aspect of the pair, and then we, we try to push away the other. But this is really not how things work. This is just our ideas. Death, especially, is the birth of something else, and we are we are 
as I mentioned a little while ago, things, things are constantly being born and passing away in every moment. Something like, like 70,000 times a second, I think is the, um, the calculated Buddhist equation. Um, and so we can't really, we can't really escape we, we, can't, we can't hold on to one aspect that we think is good and, and get rid of the other. They actually, um, and I'll, I'll just quote the line from Genjo Khan that I particularly like, um, in which Dogen says, to have great realization is to be Buddha. To be, um, to be deluded about realization is to be a sentient being. But there's no, you know, there's no difference between Buddhas and sentient beings. It's just a matter of how we look. There, these, these samsara and nirvana, to quote Nagarjuna, are, are one phenomenon. And it everything depends on our perspective and how we, well, how we look at it. You know, next week, Buddhists everywhere will be celebrating Rohatsu, which is the sort of, you know, observed anniversary of Buddha's awakening. And in the story of Buddha's awakening, he, you know, he tries asceticism. He, he grew up in a, in an atmosphere of hedonism in the, in a, in a palace. And he um, found that that wasn't helpful. He tried asceticism, found that wasn't helpful. And, you know, Buddha eventually kind of, kind of gave up searching for the meaning of life. What he decided was he was going to sit, just sit down and allow the answers or, or the, that he had been searching for to reveal themselves to him, you know, and ultimately what happened was he woke up to a new understanding of reality. You know, he was able to see that awakening is, is inherent in everything that everything. And, and this is, this is what we understand about Buddha nature. Everything contains Buddha nature. Everything is Buddha nature. Everything is awake when we can awaken to it. So after Buddha's awakening, you know, the people called Buddha the Tathagata, the thus come one, meaning that the, he, people would ask him, you know, are you, a, are you a man? Are you a god? And Buddha would just say, you know, I'm just, I'm awake. Um, and, and the thus come one means that someone who can appreciate things, things as they are, things as they present themselves. Um, but, you know, we, we can do this too. We can sit and we can allow our life to come to us. We can, as we, as we sit, um, and this is, you know, this is especially true when we are in an extended retreat of maybe days or weeks or months, um, we, we become much more able to see how our thinking can really get in the way of seeing life as it really is. We generally carry ourselves forward to quote Dogen and experience things. Whereas as we sit and allow life to present itself, present itself, um, we, we begin to recognize that myriad things are coming forward through us. They're, they're coming forward with themselves, but they're also, they're, they're part of us. We, we just begin the boundaries between our selves and everything around us start to break down. And 
so we can allow the world to begin to inform us. The world is actually informing us all the time. We just generally don't notice. So that brings me to my third point, which is encapsulated by the phrase, Dharma gates are boundless. We will be, at the end of this whole situation, we will be chanting the four bodhisattva vows. And the third one is, Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. And that, I think, is very related to the vow that Buddha made when he sat down under the Bodhi tree and decided, I'm just going to, I'm just going to let things kind of be here and come to me. So, you know, although we are living the life of Buddha, we often can't see it. It's so subtle that we don't notice it. And this is, this is one aspect of our practice, you know, which is to begin to view everything in your life as a Dharma gate. Practice is not something that just happens when we are on our cushions, although being on our cushions and facing the wall greatly, greatly enhances our, our ability to practice when we're not on our cushions. Um, but we can, in all things, if we can hold on to that mind that we cultivate in Zazen, we can ask ourselves with, with everything that happens, um, exactly what Buddha asked himself, which is, you know, what is it that thus comes? Or, you know, just what is this? You know, and, and as we begin to explore that question of what is this? You know, what is, what is, this, what is this person? Or what is this situation or phenomenon? Our practice with that will help us to find our correct relationship, the relationship that isn't based on me and what I think and what I want and how I'm going to ultimately prevail in the end. But will help direct us maybe more in the direction of how do I harmonize with what is happening around me? How do I find my correct relationship with what is happening? So we start to, you know, let go of our ideas about things and, and thereby experience them freshly. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be wonderful or what you want it to be, but everything that happens to you can be a Dharma gate to help your practice. You know, if you can just sit until you are able to loosen your grasp on it a little bit and let it go a little bit. This is not something you can try. You can't try to sit until you let go. You can't really try to let go at all. It's something that just happens. You just sit and, and allow things to loosen up. So, you know, difficult circumstances in our lives can teach us that we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we can choose what we do in the midst of what's happening. And that is, um, you know, maybe that, maybe that is just the joy and the mystery and the secret of our human life is that we have this ability to choose that no other beings do as far as I'm aware. You know, we, animals cannot, cannot choose in the same way that we can. We can choose to bring compassion and kindness 
and clarity and even maybe some wisdom to situations where even even where we, we just don't even know what what is the next step to take. You know, we can we can we can just practice with that. And so we have, you know, on the conventional on the conventional level, knowing that our life will come to an end one day can actually help us to truly fully live it. But on another level, on another level, knowing that we are intimately connected with everyone and everything around us can help us to find our our true relationship with our life and and with the world and and to appreciate the responsibilities that we have to each other and to you know everything in our life and and these are the ways in which we we live on and and that honestly I'm not in the, I'm not, when I'm giving a talk, I'm not in the contemplative mind, mind space that allows me to, you know, perceive that a little bit better. But, but as we sit, we, we begin to recognize the ways in which we really are present in everything and, and, and ways in which that will continue. And that is maybe, you know, getting a little too esoteric for, for this talk, but, um, but I think it's it's worth saying that our life is so much more than our conventional life as we as we you know understand it on a day to day level. So I want to I want to conclude by going back to the story, and you know I realize now maybe thirty five years later that my approach to this story was really problematic. I approached this story with the same attitude that I had at the time towards awakening, you know, that, that there's got to be something here that I can hold on to that will make it so that I will, I don't have to feel pain, you know, or that it will take away all my problems. And that's, you know, not really how life works. There, there isn't something that we can grasp onto that will take away all of our problems but we can, through practice, you know, begin to see our problems differently and, and develop a different relationship to our problems. You know, we can, we can take maybe the lousy hand that we seem to have been dealt and sit with it. You know, maybe a new possibility will arise. This does happen. Or maybe we will, you know, just find a way to live out the circumstances that we have with, with some grace and some compassion and some, some ways of helping others. I certainly have been inspired over the past year by meeting many people who have been dealt a really lousy hand and have discovered that they can still use that to help other people. And I think that that is hugely, tremendously important. Um, you know, the end of our story will come one day and probably sooner than we'd like probably sooner than we even think we're ready for. But, you know, when we can let go of our ideas about how things are or ideas about how things should be, we can really start to taste how sweet the strawberry is. So by all means, appreciate your life. And um, even if it's only the duration of a single strawberry, enjoy the strawberry. Um, and I think that's all I have to say. 
I hope that we can have a little bit of a discussion, um, but thank you all for your attention and for being here. So as the Zoom host, I'll add that um, you can raise your hand using the, using the hand raise function. I think you can access it either in, in, the, in the square or down at the bottom where it says participants. Um, since it's two screens, that might be better. If you, if you raise, if you raise your, your, your bio hand, I'll, I'll try to see it, but it might be easier to, um, to, to use the, the function. Mike, I see Mike. I wanted to thank you for the talk, and um, I, I'm kind of an infrequent attendee um, at Ancient Dragons Endgate. I, I feel like I only come once in a blue moon, and Asian. I, I don't know if I've we've ever had a face to face conversation, but uh, I wanted to just tell you how how grateful I am for your your presence and your wisdom and, and how much um, you've, you've added to my life just from, from hearing, hearing you speak and uh, you know, just getting your perspective on the world and, and on Buddhism. And so I, I think I've been coming for four or five years, but probably only spent a handful of hours <laughs> at Adrian's Dragon's Endgate uh, over that time. But um, yeah, I, ju I just wanted to say that even, even though we haven't had uh, many conversations, you've really affected my life and helped me in a lot of ways. And I'm so happy that um, that it, it sounds like uh, the cancer is 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 not coming back for now. And and um, I I'm sorry that you went through this. It's, it sounds like a really really difficult time. Um, and there. In, in terms of your talk, I, um, it, it made me think of a, uh, a quote from Brad Warner's book on uh, the Shobo Genzo, um, especially in terms of bringing your own um, expectations of the world into line with how the world actually operates. Um, it's, it's pretty quote, uh, quick. It's just three, three paragraphs. Um, so is it okay oh, if I read yeah, it really please quickly? Yeah, please do. Um, so he's, he's talking about one of Dogen's stories, which I, I won't get into, but, um, it starts with, you can't control your circumstances. Control is an illusion, but how you respond to them is totally up to you. And once you learn to respond better, an interesting thing happens. The world starts to behave exactly as you want it to, or is it just that you no longer expect it to behave in any other way than it does? Maybe, and maybe not. Honestly, I'm not sure. Yet, as Dogen's story says, the outside world, which is so intimately connected with you that there is no separation between the two, couldn't give a rat's ass about you. And yet, the universe that doesn't even give a rat's ass about you is you. And because of this, it cares more about you than you could even care about you. There's the magic. That's where things become so beautiful that it hurts to even try and comprehend them. You are completely part of this nasty old, beautiful old world. Not just part, even. You are the whole shebang, just like a bubble floating on a river, getting pulled this way and that by the currents, rising and falling, eventually to end with a pop, after which none of the other bubbles will know that the bubble you loved and cherished so much you called it yourself was ever even there. 
Is that bubble separate from the river, or is it just one aspect of the river to which we arbitrarily give the name bubble? Six of one, half a dozen of the other. I love that. Thank you, Mike. I, you know, I recognize you. <laughs> it, 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 I, I had to search through the, the sea of faces to see who was talking. But, um, but no, I do recognize you. And thank you for being here today. And thank you for the, the quote. Yeah. He, he really does break it down to, you know, like the very basic elemental level of, of, of how we are part of everything. And I like that because that is the part that continues, you know, when, when we, when we, when we let go of our ideas about what we think we want, we, we can sometimes, I agree. We can sometimes um, be surprised by how happy we are with how things turn out, you know, or, or at least if not happy at peace, we can, we can, it sounds like he's describing what happens when we truly um, let go of hundreds of years and relax completely. You know, yeah. as they as they say in the song of the grass hut, and we open our hands and just just let things be. Yeah. I I find that the more I try, I I can refrain from clinging to something like you know, like the fall colors. They're they're so beautiful. It's so so wonderful, and yet you know, then they're gone. And we don't get them back. And, it, it, and the, more, the harder we try to hold on to them, the, the less we can appreciate them. So thanks, thanks for that. That was a great quote. And Alex's hand is up. Hi, Aishin. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of on a similar note, I just wanted to say thank you for, uh, I mean, just such a wonderful and a beautiful talk. Um, it it was so, um, you know, inspiring and reassuring to me in in a way that I feel like I've really needed recently. Um, I I think that I can be a very, a very heady person, a very sort of analytic need to get to the bottom of things person. And I've, I've gotten lost in the weeds of Nagarjuna many, many, many times. Um, and just the way that you presented these sort of three tenets that, you know, you're not alone. Uh, you're not in control. Things aren't the way you think that they are. Just this, you know, it's not that it's easy and it's not that it's simple even, but it's, it, it is what it is, you know, like you, you just, um, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to put it into words. I'm just very inspired and very, you know, reassured and very grateful for this talk. So, and grateful for you. So thank you, Asian. Oh, thank you, Alex. You know, I, you, you reminded me of a quote that I saw from Nagarjuna once, which was, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. And I, I always love that. I think, I think the way I try to live life is that things are as they appear until you discover that they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it, it maybe, maybe, I know that... I do this, and I know a lot of other people do this too. We want to think everything through before we do something, and we and and we can't always do that, you know. So um, that's where our our analytical mind maybe gets us gets us tripped up. Um, we things things 
we can't we can't fully see things through to the end because uh, before we start them because the act of starting them and engaging with them changes us and so by the time we get to the end of the thing we're a different person than we were before we started and the things that we thought in the beginning no longer apply <laughs> so 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 if that if that helps at all but i appreciate i, I appreciate you kind of bringing that to my mind too I've always, and, and uh, yeah, I've, I've appreciated your talks, especially too. Thank you. It, it does help a lot. Thank you. <laughs> well, I can't call, I can't raise my hand because, because the Zoom host doesn't have that capacity, but I'll call on myself. Um, Aishan, thank you so much for, for that talk. Um, I feel a lot of gratitude for your, your presence. And you know, so, so far the, the, the people who, who have spoken are, are people that I remember from my first visit to uh, ancient dragons Endgate, gate, which happened earlier in this very surprising year, uh, which has unfolded in such amazing ways for me personally and for the whole planet and species. Um, anyway, but yeah, thank what, you. What a, what a great no, reminder. What, I, I'm going to, I know you might have more to say, I'm going to cut you off for a moment, but what a great reminder you just gave us all of how <clears throat> things can turn out very differently from what we thought. You know, we all, most of us, many of us um, met together in person at one time and now we're just squares, but, but, but we're here, you know, and, and we, you know, I, I think it's been said many times in many ways. We, we're able to bring the Dharma to people who wouldn't be, have been able to join us before because, because we, ha- we, we had to find some technology so that we could meet. So anyway, that, but, but you were going to say something else. Yeah, yeah. here's, here's my maybe heavy, maybe heavy, maybe not heavy question. But I'm, I'm still on the strawberry and, and um, <laughs> I'm on the strawberry and thinking about like, you know what? What even is enjoyment, and what's it? What is its relationship to gratitude? Because it seems to me like enjoyment can be hedonistic, and you talked about that. You know, you talked about you know YOLO friends. Um, there's that on the one hand, but but then it seems like there's another kind of enjoyment. Um, you know, I mean, Tygen's books often say, "Please, in, please enjoy your zazen," or "Please enjoy the next breath." Um, so I. I, I'm realizing I don't know the relationship between, you know, enjoyment, pleasure, and, and gratitude. I mean, they're, they're all nice, but, but yeah, maybe, maybe you, if you have a thing about that, I'd appreciate it. Oh, I, I don't know, but um, I, I don't know that this is universally true, but I know it's true for me, and I suspect it's true for others. Um, back when I had lots of time, on my hands. I used to like to play music and I, I particularly would end up playing the same song over and over and over. And so many times that I got embarrassed about my neighbors hearing me and I would listen to it on headphones. And so many times that after a while, I just started to feel sick. And I still, I couldn't stop playing the same song over and over. And it's the same, you know, it's the same thing with, with like eating, maybe not strawberries because strawberries I've never eaten so many strawberries that I've gotten sick, but I've eaten enough, you know, candy, like where you start, you, you, you eat candy and you, you, you can't, you, you just feel kind of like, I can't take any more of this, but I can't stop either. And so enjoyment, it, it ends, 
you know, at some point. And we're, we're, it's maybe hard to tear ourselves away from the thing that we were enjoying, but has now become a little bit toxic. But um, if we can, we feel the enjoyment that comes from like stopping that thing and moving on to something else. Um, we, we can, we can, we can get to where we have too much and, and then we, we start to, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, make ourselves sick. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly the difference between enjoyment and pleasure, but enjoyment and, and, and gratitude, but enjoyment and pleasure definitely end. And I don't know if gratitude has to end. Um, gratitude can include enjoyment. And it certainly does imply some level of appreciation. Um, but appreciation doesn't always mean enjoyment. You know, we can appreciate something that's lousy. I mean, it just, it just means that we recognize the value of it, I think. So everything has value, even, even things we don't like, you know, mosquitoes have value. Um, not so much to us, but you know, in, indirectly they do because they contribute to the whole food chain um, and, and life on this planet. So it's, it's tough. It's tough. We can't we can't rest with any one thing. Maybe maybe that's the point is we can't rest in enjoyment because enjoyment doesn't last. Or we could also broaden our enjoyment maybe to include things that are previously not so enjoyable. Thank you. I see Fushin's hand. So when I have asked myself the same question about enjoyment and pleasure and appreciation and gratitude, what stands out for me is that when I am experience myself as engaged wholesomely in what I'm doing, then I can enjoy and appreciate it almost without bounds. But beyond, I mean, there are limits to how we can experience wholesomeness. And that's what encourages us to wake up. So when we start experiencing, um, can you still hear me? Mm-hmm. A kind of a divisiveness in our experience. That's when the question arises, what is this? You know, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we bring our, again, our whole selves in that question and find out what, what's called for. So that's how sometimes <laughs> when I'm awake and be awake, I work through that. Thank you. Thank you. That's a, that's a much better way of saying it, that um, when we can put some or allow some limits to be placed on our enjoyment, we can, we can really enjoy it. We can, we can maybe enjoy the one small strawberry more than if we had, you know, half a bushel when, when we know that's all we have. And maybe that is one of the things that people talk about, about the drawback to the idea of living forever is that we wouldn't appreciate what we have. 
So the strawberry becomes the entire world. Yeah. Our entire life, the entire world. Our entire life, which is the entire world, as we get to experience it right now. See Eve's hand. Yeah, thank you very much for the talk, Asian. Um, the story you began with about your your grandmother's house really resonated with me because I think I did this similar thing at about the same age. You said 14, right? I mean, my family moved when I was 14, and I remember, you know, wanting to hold on to our old house and and uh, the pathway from school to home that I walked four times a day for eight years. So, like, I learned that patch of ground more than any other patch of ground I guess I'll ever know. But, um, and I was wondering, like, and and for me, uh, you know, like the places I've lived before, you know, they come back in dreams. And I actually had one the other night. It's like I dreamed I went back to the house my parents lived in for 36 years. Um, I actually didn't live there that long. And in the dream, I knew they were dead, but that, you know, but the house was still there, which actually they moved out of it seven years, you know, before, um, I guess before my father died, but um, into a retirement place. But, but, you know, in the dream, I can remember thinking, well, it's strange that this place is still here and they shaped it and um, it still reflects them, but they're gone. And then when I woke up, I realized, you know, the place was gone and it had been gone, um, you know, for quite a while. And I, I'm not quite sure what to make out of that, um, except that, you know, they shape me. I'm still here. But anyway, I wondered if you'd had like dreams like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um and even in waking life, um, if you've ever wa- wa- gone to visit a house that you used to live in, and you know, I, I have had the same experience of walking down the sidewalk and realizing this used to be the sidewalk on the way home, and now it's just a sidewalk. Um, it, 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 it's, it loses that, that kind of feel. But I think you're talking about the ways in which things are still present you know they're still they're still present in you and they're still impacting you in such a way that they they impact how you experience the world they're still alive for you i know tygen likes to use the example of your third grade teacher this seems to be a teacher that that everybody can usually remember um raise your hand if you remember your third grade teacher or 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 something that you learned in third grade you know i I learned multiplication and cursive writing and, um, and a few other things from my third grade teacher who actually didn't like me. Um, so, but it, 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 but, but, but your third grade teacher, if you remember something about them or, um, you know, your relationship with them or something that they taught you, they are still living in you and they are still impacting what you even think is happening right now. And it's the same for, you know, the houses that we've lived in, our loved ones, they are very much still present in our lives. It's just that our relationship with them has changed because we can't see them. 
But do you dream about your grandmother's house? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there's a secret passageway. (laughs) Or things like that. But, but I do. Yeah. I do dream about my grandmother's house and uh, probably poorly remembered. Thank you. Patrick. Thank you so much, Asian, for your talk. Um, I was um, thinking about the the strawberry um, and the fact that he had to let go of the vine and only hang on with one hand to reach out and pluck the strawberry and like the level of courage that takes knowing that that's your only that's the only thing saving your life in that moment to really participate in it. Um, so just the idea that it, it does take a level of courage to um, in and participate in your life um, and really think about the choices then you make to participate. That's Wonderful. I never thought about that. That, But you're right. He has to let go with one hand. And so we have some risks. There are some risks involved in participating. Um, we, we know as observers of the story that there's nothing he can do to really improve this situation. But he, so, so, but he doesn't necessarily know that. And so he takes a risk to enjoy to to have a moment of fully participating with his life i love that but and it does take courage it takes courage to live um and it yeah it takes it takes participation for sure we can't have as dogan would say wind without fanning ourselves you know we can't we can't just sit there and we can just sit there and wait for the wind to come up but we could feel a little bit better if we just, you know, fan ourselves a little. Thank you for that observation. I see Rona's hand. Thank you. Thank you, Rona. Um, your, um, your talk reminded me of, um, well, before I started practicing anything, And I was um, working as an accountant. And I I studied in the university for three years. And then you start uh, internship. And it was like the the thing that I really, really wanted. It was like the the absolutely thing I knew I wanted, you know, at 25, I think. And it's like everything I've ever wanted is happening. And then I was going to the internship and I had such a terrible time, but I didn't want to, to realize it maybe. And I remember, I remember thinking like, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Like, <laughs> and then I, I was starting to panic, you know? And uh, since then, well, I left and done so many things, but it's just reminded me of this just something you need to, it, you don't need to let it go. It just, it just happens. And then you can't go back. Right. 
Yeah, thank yeah, you. yeah. Thank you. And and things that we think we want, you know, that that we we realize that we can't know until we're living them. You know, we we learn so much from starting something or from living it that we can't even imagine. It's, it sounds like that was a very fruitful experience for you. <laughs> and I'm glad you've gone on to find things that feel like they're more in line with what you want your life to be and what's important to you. Thank you, Asian. Thank you. Thank, thank you. I keep seeing Doug Hendren's hand and he might be in a corner where you can't see him, David. Oh, thank you. There, I'm unmuted. There you go. <laughs> oh man, I I just I am so in the right spot. I was I was just uh, I was just sitting and thinking how grateful I am to have this spot, <laughs> you know. And I have a new cushion and uh, uh, front row seat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, and I also kind of feel like I'm really in the flow because. Uh, uh, it seems like every every session I come to is uh, is just reading my mail. You know, I uh, my mom is passing; she's kind of down to hours, and uh, mm-hmm. and experiencing that, and and really actually enjoying that being being the the primary caregiver for for so long has been a real gift. And I've I've you know I've known that, um, but lately with siblings and stuff, it's been some interesting stuff, you know, and, uh, um, carrying on and, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, uh, I feel so, so blessed. Uh, you know, I, I was so it, with my, with my practice this morning, I was so, uh, into being there and really relaxing and having the time and, and just knowing how it's going to evolve that I was thinking, Boy, that I could I could just do this for hours, and then toward the end of this of of, this, of sitting, I was like, "Did did my phone go out again?" <laughs> Seems like it's been a long time, and uh, and I know that's that's life, you know. Um, I I live in a a beautiful place in a, a in Kankakee. Uh, it's between I'm between two parks, and I can walk near the river. And um, I just have uh, so much, uh, so much to be grateful for. But I'm also extremely grateful that I don't have to drive back and forth from Chicago, uh, and that I can make these meetings so easily. Uh, thank you guys so much. It's it's, and I re- your your talk was just every sentence was right on target. I I took it every every piece in as I have been most of the most of the Zooms. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your experience of taking care of your mother through her last times and, and recognizing that she's really in the sort of the last moments of her life. Um, that is, thank you for sharing that gift with us. And I, I just have to say, she is so lucky to have you as her caregiver and, and, someone who's who's paying attention to what's happening with her i i'm I'm sure she appreciates it and well i appreciate it i know that (laughs) we i 
I th- I, that's the other thing I took from this story is that we're dead. Da- when we're down to just a few moments left, our life is so much more, we, we feel the precious, preciousness of our life um, in ways that we didn't before. But honestly, it's there all the time. When we think that we have, you know, a year or months or, or days, it, we, we see it, but it's the preciousness of our life is there constantly. And because we feel like we have so much time, we don't always notice. Right. I, uh, Thank you. I've, pr- I've probably heard the strawberry uh, story a dozen times in my life, but not recently. And, um, and I, I, it just really, really resonated. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It's, it's become one of my favorites, too. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Lee. Sylvie. Sylvie, I can't, we can't hear you. You're muted still somehow. Hear me now? Yes. Oh, bizarre. I did nothing different. That's so weird. <laughs> Thank you so much for your talk, Asian. Um, it was really lovely. I was, I've, I'm really particularly caught on this comment that you made about um, something about when we stop asking what we want or what we need and we start thinking about how to harmonize with the world. Um, and that is a really beautiful, a beautiful direction to hold on to uh, in your life. Um, but I, I'm a little bit curious, how do you, they seem a little bit hard to tell the difference between. Um, and I'm a little curious, how, how do you kind of know when you're doing the one that you should be doing instead of the one that you're trying to let go of? That's a great question. And I don't know that there's an answer. Because I, I, I think that's one of those questions that you can't come up with a strategy for. I don't think you can come up with rules. Um, and I think it's worth maybe um, continuously reflecting that maybe I'm right about this and maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe, um, maybe, maybe the, I don't know that we ever get, you know, the background music that will inform us that um, this is what's really happening. <laughs> So we're, we're stuck living without background music and, and just kind of muddling our way through, um, which, is, which is, I think, where practice comes in, too, you know, that we entertain this question of what is this over and over and over. So um, we have maybe provisional truths or, or we have hypotheses about the world, but, um, but I don't know that we ever get a firm answer. Maybe, you know, as we live according to the hypothesis, we get some information that, you know, confirms or disconfirms our hypothesis. But, uh, but even then, you know, I think that's, that's part of the illusion of control. We, when things go the way we think, you know, or the way we expect, then, then we think we, we understand them. But I don't know that we ever do. Thank you. But we can relax with that. that maybe that's maybe that's the point of practicing is we just try to relax with with that you know awareness Hmm. well maybe we are starting to wrap up 
Um, I, I did want to read Eve's chat about the rose. Oh, yes. Yes. It's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to dance. I'm not going to torture you by singing this. The dream afraid of waking, of waking that never takes the chance. The one who won't be taken, who cannot seem to give, and the soul afraid of dying that never learns to live. I, I had forgotten the rose. I did used to love that song. Um, so thank you, Eve. But thank you all for being here and for your conversation and um, for, for being part of my world, part of what makes me I think we now move to um, the chant and announcement, or, or announcements first. Yes, indeed. I think the chant first. And okay. so I'll, uh, if, if I may, by your leave, everyone, I'll, I'll mute everyone. And then I will share the screen. And we'll begin with the repentance first chanted three times and then to the Metasutta. And then the well-being dedication. Let's see. And the repentance first three times. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion. Born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Metasuta. This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled. Let one be wise, but not puffed up. And let one not desire great possessions, even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy. May they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong, in high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born. May all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another, nor despise any being in any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another, even as a mother at the risk of her life watches over and protects her only child. So with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, Suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. 
So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down, during all one's waking hours, let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Mahaprajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri, and to the fulfillment of practice of all members of all Sanghas, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, Wisdom beyond wisdom, Mahaprajna Paramita.